All right. Does it work now? All right. I'm on. I'm on. So there was this guy. He was from the West Coast, and he went. He was down south, and uh, I don't know Mississippi or Louisiana or somehow like Tennessee is the South too. But I don't get that really. Um, but he uh, he was at this restaurant, and he was you know looking to try something new, and he's looking down the menu, and he sees grits, and he's like grits. I have no idea what grits are. So when the waitress came, you know, she's like, well, what do you have? And he said, you know what? I think I'd like to try a grit. And she looks at him and she's like, honey, because that's what they call you in the South. She said, honey, you can't just get one grit. She said, you got it. It's grits. They come as a family. They come as a community. Right? That's how grits come. And that's how we come. We were created for community. We were created for relationship. And that's one of the things that we're going to look at today. We, we were designed, we've been designed all along. Now, we've all felt the pain, right, of being ignored or rejected or isolated or passed over. I mean, there's no pain quite like the pain of not belonging, I don't think. Um... A 10-year-old wrote this to Dear Abby. All my life, I have been chosen last. That's my problem. Why don't they just hang a sign on me that says, Reject, last one to pick gets me. You know, there's no pain like being picked last or being alone. And there's no gift like the gift of belonging. Um, That's what I want to talk about today. We've been created to belong. That's the title of the message today. To belong to God's family which is going to go on and on and on and on forever into eternity. See, God created the whole universe, and we kind of looked at this last week, and then he created the beautiful planet and and all of the things in it because he wanted a family. Now, God didn't need us any more than as parents we need our children. And if you're a parent who needs your children, that's a whole other level of, you know, struggle in life. But God wanted there to be more relational love in the universe, so he created us. And he didn't create us to be left as orphans, to to be left as people that are alone on the earth. Now, if you look at the top of your note sheet that's included in your worship folder, last week we looked at purpose number one, and that was that I was created to be loved by God. You know, we looked at last week that it's important for us to see ourselves as God sees us. You know, God created you and me to love you and me. He wanted an object of his love, and that was one of the reasons that we were created. Ephesians 1.4 describes it. It says, For he, God, chose us in him, Christ Jesus, before the creation of the world. You were chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God's family, and this is in your notes as well, God's family has a name, and and the Bible gives it a name, and it's called the church. Um, That's what God's family is called. It's Jesus' church. That's the family. Um, And I'm called to belong to his church, Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members 
of his household. We are members of God's household. We belong to God's family. Now, the church isn't an event. The church isn't a program, and it's not even a building. But if you would ask somebody on the street, and, and you would ask them, well, what, what do you think of the church, or where, uh, you know, what do you think the church is? They would probably say, well, I know of several. There's one, you know, just down the street. It's white. It has bells and things like that. They would probably talk about it being a building, or they think it's, you know, you say something like, in the morning you get up, and what do you say to your husband or wife or the kids? We're going to church, right? And in their mind, it's a place. But that's not how the Bible usually, most often, talks about the church. The church is not a place. The church is not something that you go to. The church is something that you belong to. The church is a relationship. It's the whole group. It's the whole body. It's not the organization. It's not the pastor. And, and sometimes, sometimes we need to think about that because sometimes when people or even ourselves criticize the church and we say the church didn't do this or the church isn't doing that or the church doesn't do that, really in our mind, what, what we're probably thinking of is a pastor or, or a, a small group, but really what we need to, we need to correct that thinking and understand that the church is all of us. It's all of us. Now, we do worship together, right, in this building that we call a church, but the church is the gathered people of God. It's our relationship with God and with each other. That's what makes up the church. And what I want to do today is I want to share with you the four benefits of belonging to a church. Okay, because God designed his family, the church, to meet Four deep needs. In fact, the church is the only place that all four of these needs can be met. Now, the Bible uses many metaphors to describe the church, and we're going to use four of those today. And if we understand the meaning of these four, I think we understand better how we're designed and one of the purposes of our life. Now, the first metaphor is this. It's family. The, the Bible uses the term family to refer to as the church. And, and family, in, in God's family, and in God's family, I learn my true identity. Okay, in God's family, that's number one in your notes, I learn my true identity. Because one of the foundational questions of this series and that we ask on a, on a daily, weekly basis is, who am I? Who am I? Sometimes we point to the middle school crowd and we say, well, that's where they're, you know, they're sort of finding their place in the world and they're trying to find their true identity. And we need to learn that, but we need to learn what our true identity is and we can't get that from the world, but that's often where we go. Um, We can't learn it from the world. We can't learn it from our peers. We can't even learn our true identity from our parents. Um, The core identity, your core identity and my core identity is found in relationship to God's family. Now, one of the ways that we try to answer the identity question in our culture is is we say, I am what I wear, right? Do you, I don't suppose you have any uh, clothing in your closet that has any sort of company logo on it, right? 
You, don't, you, you can't go out into the streets and see people with jeans that you can tell exactly what company they bought those jeans from, right? Just by the style or by the name that's on the side of them. Um, and, and why do we buy branded clothing, right? Because that's what it is. It's a brand. Um, why do we buy gl- branded clothing? So we can be cool, so we can look hip, right? So we can kind of fit in with the crowd or not fit in with the crowd, as the case may be. But here's one of the crazy things I think about that is we're, we're actually paying to advertise for the company, right? You ever think about that? They should pay me to wear this brand, but I'm forking out hundreds of dollars to advertise for them. They are so good at what they do. So today, we've got all these brands that make you cool, right? There's Under Armour. There's Banana Republic, although well, that's kind of out. There's H&M, and then there's my favorite, Forever 21. Right? I, I think maybe I should come up with a new brand. I think I'm going to call it Forever 39. Would you buy that, right? Would you buy Forever 39 jeans and wear those? Hmm. So I am what I wear. Another identity shaper is I am what I drive. Think about that one. Have you seen the, the Lincoln MKX car commercial with Matthew McConaughey? I mean, yeah, I, I see some heads shaking. I mean, is that commercial not just dripping with, with sophistication? And doesn't that commercial kind of lead you down the road of, if you only had this car, you could be just like me? For some of you in this room, that's a John Deere. Right? Or an Oliver Tractor. You know, if you know anything about Roy Trowbridge, you know that any other machine, doesn't matter its age, is subpar to an Oliver Tractor. I mean, that's just the way it is. You are, for some in here, it's Ford and Chevy, and you'll post dumb memes all day long about why yours is better and theirs is not. And you put glass packs on it so people hear you coming and they know, and that can become your identity. And then, of course, that even leaks into your wardrobe. And what do you do? You wear John Deere hats, and you wear Ford hats, and you advertise for the company. So I am what I wear. I am what I drive. I am what I do. That can be especially difficult for men, um, but I understand for, for, for women as well. And then you get fired, and then you don't know what your identity is in that moment in time because it was so closely tied to what you did. I am my past. We allow a screwed up past to identify us in the days to come and in the future and sometimes for a very, very, very long time. And the world tries to pin this kind of thing on us too. You know, I just feel sorry for some of our celebrities today. I honestly do. They make a mistake. They screw up in a public performance and social media explodes. And before long, that person is worthless because they made one mistake on stage or a series of mistakes as the case may be. And they're judged by that one moment in time. When I was thinking about that, and I can't remember the name of the guy, but the guy that interfered with the outfielder in the in the uh, World Series for the Boston Red Sox, right? Do you remember this guy? It was the Cubs. I was just testing you, of course. 
Yeah, he was known as that guy. I mean, he had to go into hiding because that's what, I mean, there were people, he got death threats because of this thing. I am my past. And the truth is, most of our identity, the truth is, most of our identity comes from our relationships, whether good or bad. Um, If you have good relationships, you have a good identity. If you have bad relationships, your identity is much more difficult. You see, I'm a grandson. I am a son. I am a father. I am a husband. I'm a grandfather. We call it Papa in our family because it sounds less old. (laughs) I'm a small group member. I'm a pastor. I'm a supervisor. I'm a Christian. And all of those terms are relational. All of those terms don't exist without other people. And they define who I am. And and it wouldn't be that way if it weren't for relationships. And that's, I know who I am because of my relationships with people and my relationship with God. That's where I find my identity. And what that means is, if my relationships get broken or my connections are poor, then I have a hard time knowing who I really am. Anybody who's gone through a divorce often asks, well, who am I now? What does this make me now? If uh, um, someone who's been married for a long, long time and their spouse dies, it's very common. It's, It's even natural for them to feel a huge loss of their identity because it's so closely tied to that other person. When my grandpa died, I I. My dad went up and, and waited till the coroner got there, and then he came home, and it was, I was in junior high, and I remember dad coming home. And, and the one thing he said, he said, Mom, uh, when they wheeled Grandpa out of the house, my mom said, there goes half my life. There was half my life. You know, our identity can be so and is in those relationships so closely tied to other people. But... And some people grew up in a messed up family, a broken family. I mean, no wonder the kids from families like that struggle so much to know who they are and what their purpose is in life. And and are they really that important? Well, here's some great news. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, and it says this, You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. So when it comes to our identity by being tied up in relationships, our identity being tied up in our relationship with God is the very most important and the one that that we can focus on and hold on to. It will never change. God will never break our heart. God will never do something that he wished he hadn't done. And this may come as a shock to you, but your spiritual family is actually more important than your biological family because no biological family lasts forever. Our spiritual one does. Kids move out of the house and they get a job and they get married and they move to other states and raise their grandkids 800 miles away from you. And if I found my identity in my children, it's going to be gone. Some of you 
Man, some of you feel like it's been, you're just, is this ever going to end? I just parent and parent and parent and parent. And of course, the honest truth is never, even when they move away, parenting never ends. In fact, sometimes it seems like it gets more difficult, but we can't tie our identity to that. If we want our identity to last, we put it in something that's never going to disappear. Something that's, gonna, that's going to last for all of eternity. And the Bible says that God's family, the church, is going to go on for all eternity. And what matters most is our spiritual identity. And here's some more good news. Hebrews 2.11 says this. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Think about that. Both the one who makes people holy, it's talking about Jesus Christ, and those who are made holy, us who have surrendered to Jesus Christ and are his children. And then it goes on to say, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Wow, what a, what a powerful verse. What an amazing description. It, it, Jesus calls you sister. Jesus calls you brother. You are in his family, and he isn't ashamed to call you his brother or sister. Have you ever had a brother or sister you were ashamed of? Don't answer that. I'm sure our brothers and our sisters have been ashamed of us a time or two. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up, because we all will and we will continue to. He is not ashamed. Why? Because you're in his family. Because you're in his family. You may be a little weird, but you're in the family. You may have sin in your life, but you're in the family. I mean, picture this. Going through life and someone comes at you and attacks you. You have someone in your family who created it all. And I just picture Jesus in some of those times stepping in between you and whatever situation this is and saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got your back. You're my brother. You're my sister. And I just think, how cool is that? Now, um, a lot of uh, families or groups in our culture have symbols, right? You know, you drive into... inner city Denver and you see all these gang signs, right? It's, it's a symbol for their family. Some families, there's a, like a family tattoo, not in my family, certainly, but um, some there is. It's something that everybody does to say, I'm a part of this family. Some families have a crest or a shield. Um, you know, our church has, our church family has a, a logo, and, and when we see that, we know that it represents all of us. Well, what's the symbol in God's family? It's baptism. It's baptism. Um, baptism is the way that followers of Christ say, I'm in the family of God, and they do it publicly so that everybody can see, I am identifying with the family of God. And if you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ, um, I would encourage you to begin to think about that. At the, at the, the last Sunday of August, we're going to do our 
annual baptism. And it's going to be a little bit different this year um, because there's sort of a kind of an exciting, you know, sciencey sort of thing happening at the end of August. Um, the, the eclipse, the sun, is going to become dark for a couple minutes and people are going to travel thousands of miles to come here to this place, possibly, and to watch that. And so we're going to change things up a little bit. This year, we're going to, on the weekend of the 20th, the 20th is a Sunday. The eclipse happens on Monday, the 21st. We're going to do church in the park on the 20th, and we're going to try and bill it as an event for anybody that's coming to the county for the eclipse. Hey, come to church with us. It's going to be in the park. We will feed you. Okay? Now, all of the people that normally feed people that day are thinking, holy cow. Okay, we're not going to do the cream can dinner that Sunday. We're going to do a hamburger fry because you can always thaw out more hamburger, right? Throw another patty on the grill. And, and we're going to do church in the park. The next weekend, the next Sunday, and I know this is breaking with tradition a little bit, but we seldom do that around here. Um, we're going to do the baptism here in this room um, or possibly outside in a horse tank. I don't know how that's all going to work, you know, logistically yet. Um, but, but the next Sunday, we're going to be here. We're going to do the baptism here the last Sunday of August, and then we're going to do the cream can feet. Because, you know, how do you just pack a few extra cream cans? You just can't do that uh, logistically. So that's what the end of the year is going to, or the end of the summer is going to look like. But um, if you haven't been baptized yet, I'd love to visit with you about it, to talk about that symbol uh, of being in the family of God. Uh, and, and by belonging to God's family, we can begin to learn our true identity. Now, there's a second metaphor that God uses to describe the church. And he says that the church is like a temple. Now, the temples that were built in the Bible were the place where God's presence showed up, where, where the people would go to meet with him, where God would be honored and worshipped. And in the New Testament, the whole idea of the temple actually was changed from where, the, uh, from where a place changed from the place where God showed up to this. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You see, God is present with us all of the time, not just in a place, which, it was in old, which he was in Old Testament times. Um, the New Living Translation of that verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16, says it this way. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and his spirit lives in you? Notice the word that they use there, together. Yes, God's spirit can be in each of us individually. But, but I mean, we, I think we sort of felt it this morning. When the people of God gather together, there's an increase in energy and, and, and level of connection when we're together corporately as what? the family of God, as the body. Now, when we built this atrium out here, um, or when this building right here was built, for that matter, uh, you know, there were lots of materials, there were lots of parts, there were lots of pieces. Many of you were a part of, of, of both of those things. And if you look around the building, um, you know, it takes thousands of pieces to build a building. Sometimes I'm terrible at recognizing this. Like I started a project this week, and it, it's going to cost twice of what I thought it was going to cost. 
because there's just more parts and pieces to it than what I had originally thought. But when, when this building was built, there were thousands of pieces to it. And these big beams up here, if, if one of them was shorter than the other and they didn't actually connect, what would happen? Would it be a roof? If when you do the plumbing and when, if you redo the plumbing in your house and you have two pipes that, that, that you have the pipes, right? But they don't quite connect. It's not good, right? It's so, you know, it's really not a house they, when they don't connect. I, uh, I got a box from home. My dad and my stepmom were cleaning out the chicken house. And when they do that, we get this family text message that says, hey, we have this, 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 and this. Does anybody want it? And we said yes to two things. And we got those two things and two more boxes of stuff. But in one of those boxes was this. Now, you all know what these are, but can you... Okay, this is the discovery set number 005. So I'm just guessing here, but I think there were probably only four more before this one. And, and of course, you know, the box is still here, but, but you open this up and, and in it are, are what? Are, are, are the Legos, right? And, and you, you look at the pictures on the back of this box and those things are in here. But when these things are, are just out here on the floor like this, they aren't those things because they're not connected. But when you take a pile of Legos like this when, and you know that every Lego has a specific purpose within its identity, which we're talking about, things like these things can be created. That's a pretty cool T-Rex. Um, that thing right there, I don't remember. I think it's about six feet in diameter. It's hanging from the ceiling at the Mall of America. If you ever go there and you go to the Lego store, they got ginormous things that are built out of Legos that are this size. And some of those things won't hold together if there is certain Legos that aren't fulfilling their purpose and their identity. And sometimes in life, the church can look like that. Where you have this huge group of people, but none of them really understand their identity and they're not fulfilling their purpose and their part in comprising the body. And so it's important, and I am so far away from my notes that I have no idea where... Um, So, so you're here today, so in some ways you're a part of the North Hills family, okay, as, as the church. Uh, but I want to just push you a little bit, and, and maybe it's just taking that next step of commitment. Maybe that next step of commitment is, is actual, you know, membership, putting on the jersey. Maybe part of that next step is saying, you know what, um, I want to be baptized. That's going to be my next step. Maybe that next step is for you to just surrender your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time and, and, and begin to and, and, and become a part of the family of God. Um, we're, we're doing a, a Discover 101 class tonight, in fact, at 6 o'clock downstairs in the, in the fellowship hall. If you can come to that and you've never been to one, we'd love to have you come. 
I just would ask that you write it on your Connect card and say, hey, we're, we're, we haven't been to one. We're going to come tonight just so that I can have enough material for everybody. Um, but that's, that's one step that, um, that you could take. It, it's actually kind of a further explanation of what we're talking about this morning. Um, that's from 6 to 8. Here's why it's so important to be connected and why God chose the metaphor of a temple. Because in, in a building, all of the connected parts support each other. And so number two in your notes, temple, in God's temple, I am supported by others. I am supported by others, and, I, and I'm also supporting others. I'm not out there on my own. I'm not a lone ranger. I mean, look at the roof. Would the roof be here if it weren't for the well-placed, securely connected beams that are underneath it? No way. And w- would those beams be in the same place today as they were 30 or 40 years ago? When Was it that long ago? however long ago it was? Would they still be in the same place if the, if the footers and the foundation beneath them hadn't been placed in the right place and wasn't connected at the bottom? They wouldn't be. There would be no support. There's going to be times in your life when you need support. You're going to experience things in life where, where if you're not connected to a church, to the body of Christ, and it happens, you're going you're gonna to feel all alone. And, and honestly, I think outside of uh, even worse than cancer or financial or psychological problems in our culture today, I think loneliness, I think disconnected people is, is at epidemic levels. You know, we have all of this social media, right? But, but all of the people that are connected in those ways are really lonely. We need this. We need this. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 says this. In him, again, in Jesus Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I'd just like to say this. You know, North Hills is far from perfect. Wow. Um, we, we are not a perfect place. In fact, there isn't such thing as a perfect church. Um, people try to find them, I think, but it, they end up just going from one church to the next, to the next, to the next. We have a lot of flaws, but, but honestly, uh, when I talk to other pastors, and, and when I was a youth pastor and I talked to other youth pastors, this is a special place. Um, it's a special community. Uh, you know, again, not perfect, but, but there are people here who love people. And there are people here who love God. And we're all on different places in that journey, of course. But, but when something happens in your life and you're connected to the body of Christ, people rally around you and they give you the support that sometimes it's difficult to walk without. And to be honest, to love and be loved won't generally happen in this room in an hour and 15 minutes, one day a week. Um, you can come to church here. You can attend the services faithfully for months, for years, and still not have the support and the connection that, that, that's possible from a group of people like this. And I think one of the best places for that to happen is in a small group. 
I know some of you are going, oh, yeah, but I don't have time for a small group, and all you do is talk about small groups, small group, small group, small group. But you know what? When you're in a small group, um, it doesn't matter, honestly, what the people in this room know or think of you. If something happens in your life, they know it because you shared it with them. And, and, and just as easily as 100 people can walk by you in a room like this and not say anything to you and not know anything about what's going on in your life, there's six or eight or 12 people that are there with you, they're praying with you, they're, they're, they're bringing meals to you, and, and, and we're cared for. So again, just to plug that, and, and we're, we have people right now that we're trying to get um, fit into small groups, and sometimes you'll try one, and it's like, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I just really didn't like that. I was really uncomfortable there, and it's just like, well, let's try a, another one, and let's try a different place and, until we can find that, that small community of people. Um, The third description of the church is that of a body. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You know, that metaphor means that we're all different parts. You know, some of us are like this little black square one with four connections, and some of of us are like this Tall, skinny one with like two, four, six, eight. Some of us would really like to be like this one right here. Um, but, you know, some of us are, I don't know. Some of us were more like this one. Um, but in order to build something like this, actually, there's another set that has all the wheels in it. It's at home. All the parts are there. Somebody said, you could probably get 100 bucks for that on eBay. I'm like, are you kidding? How could I play with it if I sold it? <laughs> I got a grandson to play Legos with. But you see, when we find our place in the body, uh, amazing things happen in our life personally as, and, and, as in, and in the body of Christ. When we know, and when we find out I'm probably not going to convince you this of this just this morning, but, but when you find your place in it, I should have really built something cool and brought it. That would be. But when you find your place and you make that connection and you recognize how that whatever ministry or that thing you know, doesn't really happen, especially in the way that it's happening without you, because there could be a hole in here and and it's not going to be as strong with that hole. And, and we all have a place. God has told us that. And I hope that all of us find that place. One of the ways in which you can find that place, this fall we're going to offer our, our gifts discovery class again. What, what are the spiritual gifts that God has gifted you with? And, and then how does that fit in with the body of Christ? And, and we, we had a class go through about a year ago, and, and I've seen some of them over the course of the last year finding places and plugging in and using the gifts that God has given them. Some of them, you know, they sort of arched their backs and were like, nah, I don't think I want to do that. And then they gave in, and now, now you look at them and they're just flourishing. I mean, God is using them in, in, in an amazing way. So in the body, in Christ's body, I discover my unique value. Did you already put that one up, Roy? Um, Put that one up. First, we learn our identity in God's family. Uh, We get stability in God's temple, but then we learn our value in Christ's body. 
And Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I mean, I, this illustration really has, I didn't even think of it as, it's really a great illustration, uh, turns out. You know, four quick bullet points out of, that, uh, out of that verse right there. First of all, everyone is different. We, we're, we're all, we're different colors, we're different shapes, we're different sizes, we all have different gifts. We have different strengths, we have different weaknesses. You know, we, we need each other. God designed us in that way. Um, he loves variety. Uh, everyone is needed. You know, n- nobody in this room or listening or really in, in, in the church anywhere can say, I'm not important because you are. Period. Bottom line. Everyone has work to do. We all have different roles, different ways to serve. What if, what if your body was just a 160-pound eyeball? Right? I mean, you could see really well. But that's about the end of it. And everyone belongs to each other. We don't just belong to God, we belong to each other. Now, I was going to have you turn to each other and say you belong to me, but I, I thought it might result in some unintended marriage proposals, and I didn't want that to happen this morning. So, um, but, but we are all responsible to each other. Okay, um, one further way that, that just to drive this point home, um, I'm, I'm going to prove to you that, that you, no matter what your giftedness is and however unvalued you feel or you think you are, that you are important to the body of, of Christ, okay? Um, I, I want everybody to hold their breath, and I'm going to, I'll say on the count of three, you know, hold your breath, and then I want you to hold it, okay, until I say don't hold your breath anymore. Okay? Now, don't pass out. Okay? If you think you're going to pass out, you know, breathe. Okay? One, two, three. Take a deep breath. Okay, now, I'm going to tell you what your lungs are thinking. Here's what they're saying to you right now. I'm rebelling. I'm tired of doing all of the breathing around here. I'm taking some time off. I don't want to do my part anymore. I don't care what the rest of the body thinks. I don't feel very appreciated and haven't for a long time. Besides, who really needs the lungs anyway? I'm never seen. Wait a minute. Somebody just let it out. I didn't say let it out yet. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Let it out. Okay, but, but do, you see, do you see the point? Um, if, if our lungs said let every other part of the body do the breathing for a change... You know, if, if your lungs went on a vacation for two minutes, you're going to pass out. If your lungs go on vacation for ten minutes, you're going to die. Your body needs every part. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Can you imagine honestly, the impact North Hills can have or any other church for that matter if every person in that body 
sees themselves as God sees them and is, is uh, exercising their part in the bigger picture. Every one of you is needed. Every one of you is valued. Now, the final description of the church that I want to look at is the garden, specifically of a vineyard. Um, it has to do with how being a part of the church family helps you grow like grapes on a vine. Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the fourth thing that we learn. In God's garden, my life becomes productive. When I'm connected to him, Jesus is talking about fruit production here. Our lives, our lives need to be productive and we need to realize that we make a difference with our life when we're connected to the vine. I mean, we all want to end life feeling like we didn't just waste it, right? How fruitful does Jesus say that your life will be? How much fruit will it produce? Much fruit. Much fruit. And Jesus goes on to say... Uh, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You go out and you, Dick Young goes out and he cuts a, a branch off of his apple tree. It doesn't matter if it has a blossom on it or not. And he lays it by the front door. It's not going to produce an apple because it's been removed from the tree. Same with a vine, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. Disconnected, we, we can't bear fruit. None of the fruit that God has for your life will happen unless you are connected first to him and connected to the church, the body. So I find my identity in the family of God, the church. And I find support and stability for my life when I'm connected here. I learn to support others. I discover my unique value when I understand my gifts, my role, and I realize how important and needed I am. And as I remain connected, I grow and thrive and produce fruit. That will last forever because the family of God lasts for all of eternity. Now, where are you going to get those things outside of the church? What company, what organization doesn't exist? Nowhere in the world will you find those things except in the plan of God who created the whole thing. And he designed his family, the church, to answer your deepest needs. You see, it's not a specific organization. It's not a pastor. It's not a couple people. It's the body. The church. Now I want to just close with two words, and the worship team can come up here because I want to do these really fast. Um, first, to those of you who have been coming to North Hills, you know, you attend, but you don't, you've been attending, but you just sort of have this sense that you don't really belong. Um, now is the time, I think. 
You're called to belong, to be connected, to be involved. Some of you have families that live a great distance away and there is no support for you. There is here. Um, We will be your family. Again, we are not perfect. Um, Maybe all your life you've tried to fit in and you've tried to belong and you just want to be accepted. You want to be known. You're saying, David, I've, I've never felt that I belonged anywhere. You do here. And, and again, I, I know that's easy for me to say, and maybe you haven't felt that way, but regardless of who you are or what you've done or your background, this is a family that's open to you. And you're welcome to belong here. Not only are you welcome to belong here, but we need you. We need you. So again, as I said earlier, uh, you know, as a follower of Christ, maybe that's your first step at, at becoming a part of the family of God. Maybe the next one is baptism. Maybe, um, you know, discover 101 and then, and then getting involved in a, in a small group. Now to the rest who are already doing that, maybe you're saying, thinking to yourself, well, I've already been baptized and I am a member of the church and I'm in a small group. Here's my word to you. Fall in love with the church. I'm not talking about North Hills. I'm not talking about this building, the property. I'm talking about the family of God. You know, there are people who say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't need the church. Well, with all due respect, I think that's the dumbest thing anyone could ever say. The church was designed by God. We can't be what God puts us on the earth to be without being connected. And the church, the body, is where that connection happens. The church is the hope of the world. You know, America is not the hope of the world. Politics, we know, is certainly not the hope of the world. Economics and education are not the hope of the world. The hope of the world is the spreading of God's good news so that lives can be changed. And it's in this group of people where we get the support and the encouragement and the knowledge and the the excitement to go do that. The only thing that's going to last is Jesus' church. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that even with all of our faults and weaknesses and all of the many sins in the family, that that you love us, that you are not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. You love your family. You love the church. You came to put it together and you died so that all of that could be true. I pray, Father, that as a part of the church, that we would find our place. That we would recognize that just as we are imperfect, so are the people that make up that that body of, of believers. And but but you love it still. Jesus, thank you. I pray that we may stick together, that we may support each other, that we may care for each other. And may the world, may the world as we know it, 
look at North Hills and say, you know, those people really love. They, they really do love. Father, thank you for this symbol that you've given us in the form of communion. Thank you for this day as we celebrate it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just as baptism is an outward proclamation of what we believe, you know, communion is, is like an inward celebration of that same thing. You know, Jesus died. He, he, paid for, he, he paid the debt for your sin and for my sin by giving his life. And as you partake today, I just... There's been times in my life where I really haven't felt like a very good brother. I mean that in my family. There were times I know when my older siblings, of course, they were more like my parents too because they were that much older, were disappointed in the decisions that I made and the actions that I took sometimes. But you know, even in those failings, the conversations that we have today, I know that they love me. They probably still think I'm pretty spoiled, but um, they love me, and I think they're glad that I'm a part of their family, and I'm glad they're a part of my family. And this morning, as you partake of communion, Jesus, when he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to the, to the disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And, and then after they all partook, he took the cup and he passed it around and he said, this represents my blood shed for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And as you remember Jesus this morning, as a Christ follower, as you take the bread and you partake and you have the cup and you drink after you've partaken of the bread, I want you to remember that verse that talks about Jesus calling you brother and sister and that he's not ashamed of you. Celebrate his sacrifice for you this morning as you do that. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this bread and for this cup and I pray that you would draw our hearts and our minds in as we partake this morning and as we close with these couple worship songs. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this family that you've brought us all to, many from different places, from different states and even different countries. And Father, thank you. Help us to continue this journey of life together as we find our true identity in you and as we find our place in the church. As we recognize how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. If the servers could come and